Become a 101 Patreon today. Head to patreon.com forward slash 101 part-time jobs and choose whether you're going to be a freelancer, a part-timer or a full-timer. You can get access to our full video interviews, to our Discord server, get pre-release tickets to our live podcasts and much more. Head to patreon.com forward slash 101 part-time jobs and pick up yourself a new gig. I did for the longest time and I wish that I knew that DistroKid was a thing. I don't even think it existed back then. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keep 100% of your royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to get their music on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram and all the major streaming services. When you get DistroKid, you can see a DistroKid bank and withdraw your earnings. You get notified when you've earned royalties and you can withdraw via the app and you can even check your streaming stats on Spotify. Spotify and Apple. Get 30% off your first year on DistroKid by going to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. 30% off for your first year. That's not bad. We know it's a tough world out there. Why don't you make it easier for yourself? And to get 30% off that free year as an artist where you get 100% of your royalties and earnings, go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. All right, stay with me. I'll be right back after this. You're listening to 101 Part-Time Jobs, the podcast where I speak to people about the jobs they did, basically what they got up to before and during becoming a full-time musician, comedian or artist. This week, we've got Tom May for The Menzingers. Uh, The Menzingers are probably one of the most prolific and lyrically charged punk rock bands today. They've recorded five albums. They consistently tour and release brilliant songs and keep pushing forward. I've known them for a few years and sort of known that Tom's had a, had a bunch of jobs, basically, um, starting off as a, as a Domino's delivery driver, um, as a lot of people do. Um, so he walks us through his story from that to becoming a full-time musician. Enjoy and rate and subscribe. And thanks again for listening. Cheers. Signature Brew is the official beer of 101 part-time jobs. I mean, you know the, the concept of it. Basically, I, I speak to people who are, who are doing art full-time. Obviously, to do that, you have to do a bunch of stuff that you don't want to do in between. Um, yeah. I mean, so Menzing is obviously, I know you started when you, when you were real young. Yeah, yeah, we started uh, in high school bands, and then as soon as we graduated high school, when we were probably, I guess I was like, you know, 18, 19, we formed, and then we've been going full-time, not having have we moved together down to Philadelphia about 10 years, about 10 or 11 years ago, and then we've been doing it full-time without having to work other jobs since about 2013. Okay, cool. So, so you, 2012, so a good five or six years have not had uh, another job. Do you remember what you were doing when you started the band? Oh, yeah, I was working uh, for Domino's, which is, you know, you got Domino's. I was delivering pizzas at, at the Bull's Head Domino's in North Scranton. And did you have a job before? I mean, was that your first job as a teenager? No, I, my first job as a teenager, I was 14 years old. I rode rollerblades into a, a catering company, and I said, <laughs> hey, uh, you have to be 14 to work in Pennsylvania. 
um, can you hire me? I think you know my dad. And they said, uh, <laughs> yeah, you can, you can wash dishes. So I got a job washing dishes when I was 14. Brilliant. Uh, for $6 an hour under the table, which was quite a lot of money back then, especially for a 14-year-old. So it was, it was, yeah. uh, the minimum wage was like probably 650 around there, a little bit less, and that was, you know, before taxes. So I was doing doing pretty damn good for, for a young kid. Uh, uh, go back to the to the roller skating bit. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I guess I didn't kind of just glaze over that. We, were, <laughs> we used to ride rollerblades and stuff at these like flood projects that were underneath the bridge uh, in West Scranton. And that catering place was right there next to a convenience store that we would go in and get, you know, Mountain Dew or whatever, whatever from. And I just rolled, yeah. uh, I remember rolling into the catering place um, and just kind of, you know, rollerblading around by the bar while the owners were there working on stuff. And, yeah. <laughs> Give me a job. That is absolutely fan- fantastic. How long, do you remember how long you kept that for? Oh man, yeah, I worked at that place on and off. So I, did, I washed dishes for a couple of years, and then uh, later in high school, I moved on to um, being a server, helping out in the kitchen, and uh, tending bar a little bit. Um, which is funny, actually. Now that we mention it, when I was working uh, as a dishwasher there, it was the first time I ever smoked weed. The uh, first access I had to regular alcohol. One of the older owners, uh, not one of the older owners, sorry, one of the older servers who was probably just like 19 at the time, but I thought was, you know, an ancient human being, gave me a Dead Kennedys tape and a Public Image Imited tape. And that was like kind of the first introductions I had to punk rock outside of uh, Green Day on the radio. That's awesome. What was it? Was it kind of like a, um, a punk rock kind of bar? No, it was like a, it was like a catering event space. So we did lots of uh, offsite. Um, sending food places, but it was a, a, a bit of like a ballroom, so people would come in and have uh, a wedding reception or their wedding showers, you know, confirmation party, uh, different work parties and shit like that uh, in the ballroom. We'd just cook in there and it would be front of that. Mostly weekends or weekdays as well? Mostly weekends. So I think legally I was able to work, you can only work till. 10 or something on the weekdays and you could work till midnight on the weekends I forget exactly what it was back then but yeah. it was mostly just the weekends I'd pick up a Friday Saturday or Sunday morning shift and nice. uh, yeah it's great I suppose that lends itself to working in a pub when you when you can become of age uh, yeah I would say so you get kind of like the same vibe or same work ethic it's not uh, yeah working in a bar here is a lot different because you gotta be 21 to uh, drink oh, right. so it's kind of like oh yeah even that much further separated like it doesn't seem like that couple of years would be a big deal but i think those are really developmental years you kind of just the whole idea of working in a bar was so far removed from working in a restaurant at that time so yeah how old were you when you moved to philly as a band uh 21 okay so that time that was quite timely yeah oh yeah greg was not 21 yet so he couldn't drink uh there were a couple bars that we can get into when we were underage but um yeah, we first moved there. It was uh, yeah, it was it was right around that time. One of the first jobs that I got was uh, actually a couple years into it. One of the, my, my favorite job that I've ever had, I think, was when I worked at a bar in West Philly called the Blarney Stone. It was at 39th and Sansom, and it was nestled directly in between Drexel and University of Pennsylvania's campuses. So Drexel is a nice, you know, a, a more expensive private school out here and uh university of pennsylvania is an ivy league school uh in west philadelphia and they kind of you know it's a different clientele than we're used to but we were basically the dive bar of those two places so the kids would come there and kind of it was like a big party spot but it was also a um restaurant that sold like delivery trash college food so i started out there as a bicycle delivery guy so i'd ride uh, bicycle um you know all day and with the other guys that worked there and it was just so much fun to be able to be that active and kind of just hang out. And the owners were, were incredible. They would give us a shift 
you know, a lot of places you get a shift beer. Yeah. Um, you'd get a shift pitcher. So at the end of the yeah. shift, they'd give you a pitcher of lager or whatever. And you just, that was that was it. And we would get yeah. uh, at nighttime if it was a Friday or Thursday, Friday or Saturday, they would need a bunch of the staff to stay on to watch the different doors, be barbacks and stuff like that. So it wasn't long until I had worked every single job that they had at the place. So you kind of got like a really good overview of the entire thing went down one thing that always really strikes me when i when i speak to friends about working in a bar in america is that i mean so many of them i mean working in a pub here in england you get a minimum wage and no one tips here and working at a bar in america it feels like you know you're, you're making a lot more money working in bars than than someone from from england would think oh yeah dog you make this that's why it's stigmatized like uh in, in the way it is because some people who you know not to i'm definitely not trying to disparage uh any of my friends who work as bartenders um but oftentimes there's there's like a culture of like by calling bar stars it's like people who are bartenders that have kind of like a social uh, like an, uh, a sense of entitlement or thing because it, you realize that like I mean, you know the work is very hard but people make like so much money you can make uh, at that barneystone job you know eight years ago uh, I would make $50 an hour under the table on a Friday night if I was uh, uh, doing a bartending shift. Like, wow. It's so much fucking money. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, you, and then you, could leave, you could leave, you could leave, you could then leave for tour and then have a job when you come back and then, you, you know, you're not, you're not out of pocket on the tour personally. Yeah, totally. That's, uh, that's, it was a huge part of that, and especially that job because um, everybody who worked there, the first person who worked there, I think one of them, my friend DJ Getz. Uh, who's now a chef at a, 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 a dim sum restaurant. Um, he's you know, a great dude from Scranton, but he got a job there, and then immediately all the other musicians and friends from Scranton started to pile in. Like Matt from Three Man Cannon, who also works at uh, uh, Minor Street and has uh, his own uh, recording project. He worked there with me. Cool. Um, some of the other guys from Three Man Cannon worked there. It was a, yeah, it was like a, definitely a hub of, all right, we're going on tour, I can cover all your ships until you get back. So yeah. really a great culture for that. How how often were Menzingers touring when you when you all moved to Philly at twenty one? How, how how many months out of the year do you think you were away? Uh, you know, we didn't. We, we probably were. We were well, at first. We only went away during breaks and during the summer because uh, uh, we were still in school. Like uh, I was still going yeah. to a community college in Philadelphia, and Greg was still going to Temple. Uh, and then I dropped out, and Greg continued to go. But he took a couple semesters off here and there. So we, we probably were touring. It was. As soon as he graduated is when we started to really hit it hard. But before that, we were probably torn maybe, I don't know, a, a fifth of the year, a quarter of the year maybe. Is that around the time of Chamberlain Waits? Yes, that was right around that time. So when mm. that came out, that was right when we first started. That was uh, The tour that we did right before that came out was the first one that we ever made it to the West Coast on um, in 2010. So Yeah, yeah, great. And you kept on working at bars all throughout throughout that time? Until well, you yeah, working at bars, we're working at uh, kind of just... That was where I worked, uh, that one bar. I also had a job doing bicycle delivery for DPDO, which was like a third shift job. I'd work till five, four or five in the morning. Wow. And again, it was also uh, run by a dude who was real involved in the Jersey punk scene back in the day. And it was really cool because mm. it was, uh, he had a couple of musicians and, and people from um, that lived out in West Philly. And also he was really into hiring guys that were recently uh, released from prison. So it was like okay. a, a learning experience with those guys for sure. But uh, yeah. It was really funny, the, the, the cultural differences that we had and the way that we'd come together at like 5 o'clock in the morning having a couple beers after the set, was, or sorry, after the shift. But um, yeah, I worked that job. I worked at uh, Washing Dishes when I first got back here at the Warsaw Cafe, which was a 
um, Polish restaurant run by a woman who was a victim of um, Nazi Germany. She was a young Pole who was taken from her family and forced to be a cook for a German officer. Uh, and then immediately after that, she had to deal with communism uh, in Poland and the suppression by the uh, Soviets. And then came over here and started a, a small little Polish restaurant that had the best uh, pierogies that I've ever had in my entire life, probably ever will have. But that was an interesting job because it was a really tiny kitchen that only a couple of us worked at. And it was a really like, um, you know, a tight space. And that was a job that I had had as soon as I moved to Philadelphia. Actually, the day that I moved to Philadelphia, I started the shift. On uh, 16th Street, down 16th and Spruce, and that was also a job that was held previously by me by other artists from Scranton. So it was kind of nice. like a, a line. Uh, there's like a, a lineage of the dishwashers that you could trace back, you know, five or six years. It was pretty funny. One time, one thing I always think when you meet so many different people from different backgrounds of all ages is it, it kind of makes you question yourself and make you think about, you know, what you're going to do in the future. I mean, other than being in a band, obviously, what did you have any ideas at the time? of what you might be doing or what, you know, something that you could put all your focus into doing? Not really, because the entire time I was focused uh, and we were focused together that we were going to be musicians and that was what we, what we needed to do for a living. So we yeah. kind of just stuck on that goal and didn't really deviate much from it. I had like all kinds of fantastical ideas and notions of being like, I don't know, I wanted to do like, uh, I always wanted to be a journalist back in the day. Hmm. Um, and then, yeah, so I kind of just... You know, there was the idea of maybe owning a bar or a record label. Yeah. Um, it's kind of just all the same things that you would normally associate with people that <laughs> wanted to be musicians. Yeah. We kind of uh, uh, really, it sounds, it might sound a little bit outrageous, but we really just did not anticipate doing anything else at all. Like, that was the, um, you know, the, the one driving thing that we, we kind of uh, came together on. Absolutely. And did you have many friends in, in other bands who were doing the same thing? Yeah, the, everything. The scene at that time. So at first we wanted to move to New York, uh, but it was so expensive. And when we moved to Philadelphia in 2008, that was right. We moved in July. Some of the other dudes came down in the fall. Uh, that was when the Great Recession started. That was when the housing crisis happened was that uh, September, October. So it kind of became difficult to tour it was more difficult to we couldn't live in new york it was just way too way too expensive uh but in philadelphia you had just tons of these houses that were full of five or six people that wanted to play in bands and that was just like what they did so we would just play house shows you know once a week uh in the city somewhere and that's uh kind of a, a lot of the bands grew out of that yeah absolutely i i feel like people you know you you read all these blogs about how this uh how these this basement scene is amazing and i'm not saying it's not amazing it is amazing but it's great that philly is just one of those towns that almost every every sort of domestic house i've been to has quite a big basement so it's, it's a real straightforward thing yeah totally when it was uh, really really uh involved and, and and frequent back then i think now it's kind of uh you know, as any older jaded person would say, it's become a bit romanticized and it's kind of like scaled back a little bit. And and for a good reason, too. I mean, like there are parts of uh, the whole uh, Philly house show basement scene that kind of got glossed over a little bit That it, with the age of wisdom that I can kind of see it. Uh, we were going to poor neighborhoods, you know, they're predominantly black, some of them. Some of them are like, you know, second, third generation Irish and Italian and just like these people lived in neighborhoods and because it was the affordable place to live you'd get five or six people slamming in a house that didn't mind living in a, a violent um you know poor neighborhood and then you just take advantage of the fact that you could be really loud all the time <laughs> yeah and play some shows until you know 11 o'clock midnight on a weeknight and 
to the dismay of all of the neighbors and family that are around it. So you kind of start to realize that your role was it's romantic, sure, but it's also like, wow, I wonder what you know, what what was I doing exactly? And it's funny to see it manifest itself now in the um, spike in developed housing and uh, the housing prices themselves as uh, even people like us who spearheaded the, the, the like you know gentrifying move to the neighborhood are getting priced out so it's kind of like um, it's an interesting you know an interesting uh, uh, little lesson yeah absolutely it puts things into perspective doesn't it Sure. I, I often think as well when when things like that are happening, you know, when you book a bunch of your friends' bands to play your basement, you know, and and they're called, you know, Dead to Me, Menzingers, and or you know, whoever it wanted, wanted to be at the that first, you know, before the first records are released, it, it's one of those things that becomes special afterwards. Yeah, the stories that I remember are just like you know hilarious. There's a time where Titan House was right around the corner from us, and that's where a lot of our friends uh, at first started having shows, and that was where we were kind of like one of the house bands that played there. We played there. Frank Turner came and played with us in the living room there. Um, but so any band that's ever played the fest has played there. You know, I kind of can can trace it all back, and there's just so many hilarious uh, things that have happened there. Uh, yeah, you know, from the time that the, all the light bulbs in the basement got smashed, and all they had left was a uh, like a heat lamp that you'd put in like a lizard's cage, you know, to, like warm up a reptile. Yeah, and they put that in. And I remember the drummer of that that band just like vomiting profusely from you know borderline heat stroke or whatever. And all the yeah. times the cops came, just kind of like made fun of us, and then left. Yeah. Uh, just, yeah, so many of those great times that we had, we had done that. Basically, we were just having kind of college kid style house parties with bands yeah. playing. You know, everybody would stay on the second floor until their friend's band played anyway because it was too hot and fucked up in the basement. Anyway. So I guess when you quit your jobs, how far in advance and how did it feel knowing that you'd be able to soon not work and just do the band full time? You know, I kind of... <sighs> I don't really remember because we would still pick up kind of like side hustles here and there. I remember I was like selling weed for a little bit. We would like, you'd get a friend to cover somebody's shift, that kind of stuff. So I think that the, the transition into the full-time band was a little bit more um, graceful than just like, a, oh shit, we got paid for this tour. Never going back to work. I'm going to call my boss back. Fuck you. Um, it didn't necessarily happen that way. But uh, yeah. yeah, I think it's more of a, like, a nuanced transition, I guess. What did it, what did that feel like being able to obviously life goes on and nothing stays the same forever but how did it feel like you know just in that golden moment? Oh, it was great. It felt incredible, and it also was more of like uh, didn't we didn't work out of the necessity of having to tour less than having enough money to be able to sustain or live uh, comfortably while not having a job. So it was kind of like, well, I can't get this job because, you know, I have to go on tour again in a month on that tour. And it's like, they're not, you know, they're not going to hire me. Uh, yeah. But yeah, we were really good at pooling our resources and uh, we all lived in the same house together. So it was kind of like, uh, you know, it, it worked out really well for, for us because we were all on the same page. I think oftentimes and bands, especially at that point in their career, when they have an album out, maybe or two albums out, and you kind of have to sacrifice a lot uh, to be able to keep it going. We were fortunate enough in that we were all on the same page. And a lot of times, I think I see bands where it's kind of people are interested in other things, or they're not at a point in their life where they're able to just kind of give up everything. We um, yeah. we made that works, but yeah, when we, we got to the point where we didn't have to go to work, man, we were just doing the band thing. It was yeah, it's incredible. Fuck yeah, awesome, Tom. Thank you so much. Hell yeah, man. Thanks for having me.
Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu/visit.